everyone, and welcome to this month's podcast. We are your hosts, Rachel and Rashmila, and this month we are talking to you about nonfiction reads, gifts to give your book friends, and the Goodreads Choice Awards. So, Rashmila, what did you read at the end of October? So, I read quite a few books for October and a bit for November. My first book was uh, The Overdue Life of uh, Amy Byler, and that's by Kelly Hart. This lighthearted contemporary book follows Amy Byler. She's a mother of two whose husband returns after a gap of three years. Now her husband wants to spend time with his children, and Amy agrees to go to New York to spend her newfound alone time. So I enjoyed this book. It has some great, supportive, fulfilling female friendships. It talks a lot about self-care, like how unless you take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. And it also talks of the different aspects of motherhood. So I'm not a mom, but at the same point of time, I could relate to Amy's martyrdom as a mother. At the same time, she tries to find this identity, which is separate from her being a mother. There's also a reference to Litsy, which was cute and other bookish stuff. And uh, because Amy is a school librarian. So if you like books uh, and if you want to know about a single mother who realizes that she is single and ready to mingle, then this is a good book to read. It's a nice, lighthearted book. The second book that I read is uh, The Beauty of Your Face by Sahar Mustafa. And this is about a Palestinian-American woman called Afaf Rahman and she, how she navigates a world filled with hate and cruelty. So she's the principal of a Muslim all-girls school in a Chicago suburb. And the story has two timelines going on. The one is the present where Afaf is facing a school shooter who has been radicalized by the online alt-right. And the other is a flashback of her life. So other wider questions are those of identity, home because her parents were immigrants, uh, cultural assimilation, xenophobia and loss. So this was a very serious book, a good contrast to the overdue life of Amy Byler. And it it just made it very, uh, the complete radicalization that I was reading in this book, it makes it so easy for a person who is uh, angry and frustrated and how you can easily just make him into a homegrown terrorist. So it was, this was slightly difficult. It might have like trigger warnings for a bit of domestic abuse. But at the same point of time, I think this is a, book that people should read. The third book that I read is called uh, Ilatsoe and uh, this is a new book. It was released in August of this year and it's by Darcy Little Badger and this speculative fiction mystery book features a 17-year-old Ilatsoe who lives in an America that has vampires and fae folks. So it's speculative fiction where it's slightly, it is contemporary but there are very slight changes happening in the setting. And uh, Ilatsoe can raise the dead, uh, which is a skill passed on from her generations of Lipan Apache. She investigates the murder of her cousin while accompanied by the ghost of her pet dog, Kirby, her family and her friend. I enjoyed this whimsical but serious book. And there are some illustrations, right, that, which are right at the top of the chapters, which are very beautiful. And this was not my usual genre, but I'm glad that I read this. Uh, the last book that I completed was called uh, Una Out of Order by Margarita Montemore. 
And this book got quite a lot of press when it was first released. And it has an interesting premise of time traveling Una, uh, but the book fell flat. Again, this was, I think, one of the books uh, like the dinner list that we discussed in our last episode, which has an interesting premise, but it's not executed well. So basically on her 19th birthday in 1982, Una travels forward in time. And with the end of every year, so her birthday falls on the, uh, on the 31st of December. So that's why how she just ends up traveling every year. And with the end of every year on her birthday, she travels in time, which can either be forward or backward. She often writes advisory letters and yet leaves her present self to live that one year. Uh, there is a nice twist, but Una was, for me at least, she seemed a very strange protagonist who didn't have too much of uh, growth. So again, one of those cardboard-like characters. So out of the four books that I read, I would definitely recommend Elatsoe and The Beauty of Your Face, as well as The Overdue Life of Amy Byler. So these were my reads. Uh, Rachel, what did you read for October and November? Can I start by saying that like, Una Out of Order got a yes. whole lot of hype. Like, everybody was like about this book and i you know i really have to wonder when when a book falls flat like that for somebody that i know relatively well i mean i know you better than like a stranger on the internet like why did it get so much hype <laughs> like what was it about this book that everybody else was like this is a great book yeah i think it was primarily because it has a very cool uh, premise and it also has a lot of nostalgia attached to it with the 1980s and the 2000s so that might be a reason but i was like okay this is a cool book cool premise but i don't like Una. and i think um i don't have a problem with main with protagonists who are like bad or anything or who, who does bad things i don't have a problem with that but i do have a problem if the protagonist does not grow as much as i would expect him or her or they to grow so I think that's where my problem was. Yeah. Coming back to you, what books did you read? I ended October with a couple of mysteries. I actually read a cozy mystery, which was called Witch You Well by Colleen Cross. And this this is the first okay. book in the whole um, The West Witches series. Um, it, was, it was cute. Um, you know, there's this family. They're the West family. Um, it consists of Sen, who is an adult daughter, daughter, she's a journalist for the local town. It's a very small town. You know, they don't have a lot going for it. There's only one um, inn where people stay if they're passing through. And then, of course, Sen's mother runs the inn. And, of course, then there's this other character, and her name is Aunt Pearl. <clears throat> and Aunt Pearl is just, you know, this very wacky character who, like, you know, is trying to run the sheriff out of town. She's run multiple sheriffs out of town, you know, with just her antics that she's running around performing. But lo and behold, when we started this book, there's a new sheriff in town, and he is not scared off by the West family. He is just, he's like, all right, you're weird, but I'm here, so that's fine. And what, what happens that kind of sets the whole book in motion is that a billionaire dies at the inn shortly before Sin, the main character, is set to get married. How they come upon this dead body is that Sin is doing a rehearsal for the wedding, and her fiancé, who's the mayor of the town, is not able to attend. And so Sin, Sin and her family find this billionaire 
and the sheriff is called, and, you know, Sin does some investigative journalism and some investigative work of her own to figure out who killed this billionaire, why, why did they do it on her family's property, and so it's just, like, this really great, like, very cozy, family-focused mystery novel. It's really cute. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so the story is, is just a lot of fun. Cozy mysteries aren't really my jam. This one kind of had a nice, it had a nice framework. I liked that, you know, there was like a family of witches. I thought that was really cute. So I liked this. Uh, My second book was called The Boy from the Woods by Harlan Coben. This was my first Harlan Coben book. And it turns out that Harlan Coben is actually from New Jersey. And so the whole book takes place in New Jersey, which is awesome. The main character, Wilde, is like a big mystery, not only to the town that he lives in, but to himself as well. Because when he was a little boy, he was living in the woods. He, um, he was discovered when he was younger by um, some hikers who were passing through. And then he got, you know, he got acclimated to society. But he has spent so much time in the woods that, you know, he developed kind of differently than, say, his peers who didn't have to live this very, like, survivalist type of lifestyle so needless to say this growing up in the woods makes him really good at investigations and finding people and so he lives in the woods still as an adult because he never really acclimated to society but then he gets called in in by um, his best friend's mother, who, who is a famous lawyer, and she asks him, hey, this girl has gone missing. Can you help me find her? And so what ensues is that, you know, this girl was faking her disappearance, but then throughout the book, she really does go missing. But then on top of that, not only does she go missing, but a young boy from her class who she knows, who she has contact with, also goes missing. And so, but the young boy is the son of very rich parents who are who are very popular in the community. And so it you know it turns out that this young boy is kidnapped and that they the kidnappers want a ransom because they want to bring down this political rival that the parents of this boy have interacted with. And so it's just this really intricate you know multi-layered mystery that Harlan Coben does a great job, you know, kind of untangling like he creates this ball of tangled webs and then he does a really good job of untangling it so it was an excellent book i'm glad it was my first harlan coben book um i have another harlan coben on my bookshelf so i'm hoping to get to that at some point and then my last book for october was called heaven my home by attica Locke. this is the second book in the route 59 series darren matthews has just been reinstated as a Texas Ranger, which is where we left off at the end of the first book. But at the end of the first book, his mother finds the gun that was used to kill a member of the Aryan Brotherhood, which is a group that's running rampant in Texas. And so his mother is blackmailing him in exchange for keeping quiet about this gun. And so she's like asking for money and she's asking for support in other ways. So that's kind of happening in the background. But then Darren is asked to go find this little boy who has disappeared. This little boy is the son of very popular members of the Aryan Brotherhood. And Darren is, is willing to help and is willing to find this child, but also has the alternative motive of wanting to 
disband the Aryan Brotherhood and get them removed from Texas. I listened to the second book as opposed to read the first book, and it was okay. I didn't really like the narrator for this book. I think I'll just pick up the third book and any following any following books in the series, but it was good overall. Um, Attica Locke is really great at lots of suspense and lots of, you know, making the reader feel like they have it figured out as opposed to, you know, making, she, she really is very good at, you know, oh, you think you know what's going on, but do you? Um, yeah, it's good. It was a good book. Um, so shall we jump into this month's theme? So this month's theme, as some of you know from listening to our past podcast, is nonfiction. I am a big fan of nonfiction. I'm running Nonfiction November on Litzy. Um, and so far, it's going really well. Lots of people are reading lot nonfiction. Lots of people are watching documentaries, listening to podcasts. And what's, what's great about the whole thing is people are, are learning from the podcasts and the books about various topics. So, Rashmila, what did you read for nonfiction? So, as opposed to Rachel, uh, I am not a big fan of nonfiction, simply because I have, I think I've read enough nonfiction in my grad school to last me a lifetime. But because Rachel is such an awesome person, I participated in the nonfiction November last year and I'm participating in this year also. Uh, I have right now just read four books, but I'm hoping to... Um, get more done. So the first book that I read for this month's theme is called uh, My Past is a Foreign Country and it's by Zeba Talkhani. So this particular memoir is about an Indian Muslim feminist who navigates her identity. So she's born in India but she has spent her childhood in Saudi Arabia with uh, occasional uh, visits to India when her, when her school is uh, is closed. So during vacation, she comes to India. And at the same point of time, she receives her uh, master's in, I think, publishing in the UK. So uh, Talkani already has like these three countries and she's navigating how to be a woman, how to be a feminist and how to reconcile these aspects of her identity with that of being um, a Muslim. So she tackles issues of religion, identity, what constitutes beauty, uh, as well as the power and victims of patriarchy. And she talks about it in her family and extended family, how she's navigating patriarchy, as well as how she's navigating patriarchy in the broader world. One thing that she talks a lot about that comes out is uh, how her parents are trying to get her married, but she is becoming too educated to get a good suitor or she is uh, not as concerned about her physical beauty so it might be difficult for her to get a suitor so there's a lot of interesting dynamics going on power relations going on as far as her arranged marriage is concerned uh, one thing which she tackles uh, also is how mainstream feminism is often very white uh, and not just as in the us but this is from her time that she spends in the UK where she gets an education and a job and how difficult it is to work as an immigrant in the UK. And I think I could relate to that completely because I'm struggling with 
a lot of things uh, as I'm also an immigrant in the US. So this was a good, simple memoir. Uh, I liked it, uh, but I think a lot of people might not like it because it does talk a lot about Islam. Uh, but overall, it was a good book. Uh, the second book that I read, which was a really short book, it's called The Little Book of Luca. Uh, and it's uh, it says the subtitle is the Danish search for the world's happiest people and it's by Niek Viking I think that's how the name's pronounced so if you read the little book of Huga and it's by the similar author uh, both of the books are very similar so basically the little book of Luca is uh, discusses how practicing uh, this practice which is Luca uh, it's basically about pursuing and finding the good that exists in the world around us every day. And uh, the book discusses factors like togetherness, money, health, freedom, trust and kindness and how you can be happy or how you can pursue happiness based on the suggestions on these six factors. Um, the book also has a lot of experiments and happiness as well as how there are some interesting ideas of happiness and what it is around the world. So uh, this, I think it would be a good book to give to someone for the upcoming holiday season, the little book of Luca or the little book of uh, Huka, which is about, which is basically fall in a nutshell. So using blankets, candles, and creating a very cozy atmosphere in your house, but also things like being together with your family eating together and other ideas about creating a good life so my third book is uh, braiding sweetgrass by robin wall kimmerer and this book uh, i think it was recently released with a new cover it was uh, the 25th anniversary and this particular book is about plants and botany as seen through native american traditions and western scientific traditions so two very different schools of uh, of looking at plants. So the author is a botanist and also a member of the citizen Potawatomi nation. And she brings these two aspects together with the main idea that we can awaken to a wider ecological consciousness by acknowledging and celebrating our reciprocal relationship with the rest of the world. So seeing how we are connected to things around us, including nature and other people, that's the main idea that's running through this book. So again, a very, this is a very interesting book um, and I would definitely recommend this one. The last book that I've read is called The Library Book and it's by Susan Orlean. And this book chronicles the most catastrophic library fire in the US, which occurred on April 29th, 1986 at the Los Angeles Public Library. The book also connects to the larger implication and effects that library has that the libraries have on us. So basically, it's uh, an extended love letter to libraries. And I would just like to add that if you like books, if you like libraries, then this is a good book to pick up. At the same point of time, I am so uh, relieved and so happy about the American public library system where you can check out ebooks, books like physical books, audiobooks, DVDs. Uh, some libraries also have interesting uh, instruments and machines and appliances that you can check out all for free. So I think we don't talk enough about libraries, which and we should. At the same time, so many libraries also offer free internet access, which is also 
important for people who might not have a steady Wi-Fi access for applying for jobs, uh, for education purposes, or even for any other social purposes. So uh, again, this is a book that I would definitely recommend. Those were my four books. Rachel, what did you read for Nonfiction November? So fun fact, um, the library, um, the Los Angeles Public Library and the fire that took over kind of played second fiddle in the news cycle because on that same day or either that or the day after, Chernobyl happened. Oh, okay. And so the whole world was kind of focused on Chernobyl. And so what makes this book really cool is that you know, this this piece of history that almost was lost has been brought to light. So so that's really cool. And speaking of fires, um, my first book is called American Fire by Monica Hess. I can't remember the time frame, but in a in a small county on the eastern shore of Virginia, a bunch of fires have just kind of randomly started. And all of the fires that have happened starting in um I think they started in March. They're all they all have one thing in common. These buildings that are being lit on fire are all abandoned buildings throughout the county. Some of the fires kind of destroy the whole building, some of the fires only like burn part of the building. In some instances, there are multiple fires happening at once, and so all of that all of that really starts to stress out the firefighters and the sheriff and everybody who is responding to these fires. And so eventually this county learns that they have an arsonist on their hand, and they don't know who who's doing it in the beginning of the book. But one of the characters, because it's actually, it turns out that it's a couple who actually ends up doing these these arsons together. The, the sheriff, like, sets up, you know, other abandoned buildings throughout the county, and so he sends men to watch each of these buildings, and one night they just get really lucky and they catch the man in the act of lighting the building on fire. Actually, they, they catch him running from the fire that he just set and calling somebody on the phone to come get him from the fire. And so it turns out that it's this couple. The guy in the relationship had, you know, had some, like, some personal issues. He's had some run-ins with the law for other things related to drugs. But then he meets, meets this woman named Tanya. And Tanya's kind of the mastermind behind the whole thing. She convinces him that in order to prove that he loves her, he needs to go light a building on fire. The first couple of fires, he like chickens out. And so she does them. And then it turns out, you know, that she almost gets caught. And so that's when he takes over. And this, this book was really fascinating because it goes into like the understanding of arsonists versus um, people who are, are pyromaniacs. Um, and how those are, one of them is a mental health disorder, one of them is is just a crime. It goes into kind of all of the, the multiple court hearings related to each of these fires. Like, each building is kind of its own trial. And just the astronomical amount of manpower and money it took to not only capture these two arsonists, but also to, like, stop the county from catching on fire. You know, all of these buildings are burning all at once, and and the county is having to, you know, use multiple fire departments, and you know they're they're just running rampant trying to control these fires. So it was it was a good book. It was a history that I didn't know before. So it was good. 
My second book is called Five Days by Wes Moore. The full title is Five Days, The Fiery Reckoning of an American City. And it goes into the five days after Freddie Gray was killed in police custody in Baltimore, Maryland. And um, Wes Moore does a lot of research and does a lot of um, interviews with a series of people that he um, uses to kind of understand the situation as it's happening in Baltimore. And so there's this guy who kind of runs this local recreation center. And then, you know, there's a black man on the police force. And so there's multiple characters in this book. I think there's like eight total. Wes Moore does a really great job of kind of painting this very broad picture of what is happening in Baltimore from multiple people's perspectives and how are people working together and working from their respective roles in order to bring justice to Freddie Gray. It's a really heartbreaking story. You know, everybody's kind of trying to essentially take on a system that's just, I don't even know, I don't even know if I have the words for it, but, you know, the police system is just so interspersed and so interconnected that oftentimes justice isn't really possible, as we've seen numerous times with, with, you know, grand juries just choosing not to indict. So it's a really great story. It's a really great project. You know, Wes Moore is from Baltimore. If you've read the other Wes Moore, where he goes into, you know, his understanding of race and relationships between him and a white Wes Moore, you understand that Baltimore is like a really key part of who he is. But Five Days was just like this amazing, in-depth understanding, kind of a behind-the-scenes understanding of what happened in Baltimore that, you know, we weren't privy to before. It was, it was good. I'd recommend it for folks who want to understand the behind-the-scenes of, of some of these really big cases that we're seeing on TV. Um, Sandra Bland, Eric Gardner, right? This book kind of takes... Freddie Gray and really looks behind the curtain and says, okay, what happened on the ground in the community? Um, who were the major players? It just kind of all looks at that. So this was, this was excellent. My last book was called The Book Collectors by Delphine Minou. It's a French translation, so it was translated into English. And it was excellent. It was just... So the basis of the story is that the author, who is a journalist, has come across the story of a library in Syria, kind of this very secret library. And so she makes contact with one of the young men who is a part of this library and kind of asks him and his fellow friends who are helping to manage this library to tell her the story of how this happened. And so she strikes up this friendship you know, he's in Syria, she's in France, and sometimes um, Istanbul for work. These Syrian young men are just constantly, you know, surrounded by bombs and lack of food and, and you know, just scraping by. But then they come upon this, you know, this huge collection of books. And so they take them and they move them to a basement and they write the names of the owners of the books inside the very front page of the book so that at some point if it's possible they can return these books to their rightful owners that's heartbreaking oh yeah it's really heartbreaking you know the city where this is happening is called 
Deidre. Yeah. I don't know if I pronounced that right. And and just this city is just constantly under attack. There are constant bombs. You know, it, it the bombing happens so much that if at any point in time there is a serious lull in bombing, people are seriously concerned because they've just adapted their lives to sleeping when bombs are going off and going about their normal day when bombs are going off. And it's just, it's this heartbreaking story, but it's such a beautiful story of how these young men, you know, built this library and shared books amongst each other and read stories in order to keep their humanity. You know, they mention a few of the books that they really found that, you know, called to them and and touched them in certain ways. So things like uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. There's a few other books. There's a few psychology books. But just the whole story is just beautiful. And so one of the young men who is a part of the the library system, he ends up dying at the end, towards the end of the war. And then all of the other men kind of relocate after the city is, after they've declared a ceasefire and they've asked everyone to evacuate. So really, really great story. I'm so glad I came upon this story while flipping through Libro FM. I loved listening to this on audio. I thought it was such a beautiful story. It was such a tearjerker. I was literally sitting on my couch just crying. I really highly recommend it. I think it's important that we read stories that we wouldn't otherwise come across. And I think this is one of those stories, especially as readers. I think it's just so important that we not forget that you know, other people just don't have the same access to books like we do here in the United States. You know, you mentioned the public library system, but in a lot of places that doesn't exist. And so for these young men to collect these books and put them in one location and then to make it so that that those books were accessible, profound, just such a beautiful beautiful way of just staying in touch with your humanity during dark times yeah it was really good yeah oh my god yeah yeah i i will definitely i'm definitely going to read this one uh, as we talked about in our previous episodes we have something called a book swap so this time rachel uh suggested the book the immortal life of henrita Lacks by rebecca sclut for me and I suggested the book Buttermilk Graffiti by Edward Lee. So I'll go first with Rachel's suggestion and then Rachel can talk about Buttermilk Graffiti. So this particular book, The Immortal Life of Henrita Lacks, um, this created a huge furore when it was first released, I think sometime in two, early 2000, I think. So this particular book created a huge controversy, I think, when it was released in 2010. And controversy in a good way, not like it was banned or anything. But I really enjoyed this one. I don't think I would have read. I mean, this is this is one of those books which is which I know I want to read, but I don't get around to reading it. So I'm glad that Rachel recommended this one. So this book is about the life of Henrietta Lacks. Uh, she was an African American woman in her early thirties whose cells were taken and used in scientific and medical research. So basically, uh, Henrietta Lacks uh, had cervical cancer and she visited the John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. I think Baltimore seems to have a recurring theme today, sub-theme today in our episode. So she visits uh, John Hopkins and then 
uh, they try to control her cancer but they are not able to and she is her cells are taken from her body and basically it's it is illegal in a way because she was uh, her family and her husband basically was asked if they want to do an autopsy and the husband just agreed to like a small version of an autopsy not a larger version but he didn't know that uh, this her cells were going to be taken uh, for research so they agreed to the autopsy and that was where the loophole happened and uh, lax's uh, cells were taken and cultured and basically this book is an example of how black bodies are often used for experimentation and research without consent and how the families of these people never get any kind of compensation financial or social or health wise so this was a pretty eye opening book um and it's a pretty shocking book even though you do even the we do think about how important science and research and uh everything else is i think we should not discount the fact that whatever uh body parts for lack of a better word we are taking from patients they need to provide consent and to a certain extent if possible um they should be they should have some kind of like a financial compensation so this was uh this was a very hard hitting book um i i would definitely recommend it uh so rachel what did you think about buttermilk graffiti before we get into buttermilk graffiti um when you read the immortal life of henrietta lacks did you see the part where um where the author uh mentions that kids were taken off the streets of baltimore by john hopkins wild just wild yes, yes. Yeah and also the way that uh this particular way of kidnapping kids or even adults i think for that matter uh the fear that uh slave owners right yeah uh help to encourage more uh so that the so that nobody would run away at night and uh i think sometimes i read it somewhere in the book also where they would do this and often the own, like the white owners white land owners would wear like white sheets to pose as ghosts to give credibility to their story again so that slaves don't run away and that was one of the way and that was uh one aspect of why ku klux klan like started with those white white robes so i was like that's just wild and yeah i mean this particular book was just why it's important about to have cell culture and tissue culture and all of that i completely agree i mean I, i'm completely on board with that but the way that uh, henrietta lacks's life i mean not life after life is exploited yeah that's absolutely. just messed up absolutely yeah so i read buttermilk graffiti by edward lee in this book edward lee takes various trips throughout the united states and tastes different cuisines he tastes cuisines from cambodia from germany of course soul food southern cuisine where he lives in kentucky so this book was excellent you know obviously a much lighter read than uh the immortal life of henrietta lacks um but you know edward lee really doesn't shy away from the fact that you know because american culture is so steeped in white supremacy 
that there are cuisines that have kind of gotten overlooked and cuisines that have kind of fallen away from favor by American by, by Americans because of various factors. Like when he describes German cuisine, you know, which is excellent and really savory, it doesn't really have a, a strong place in American cuisine because, you know, Germany has really this fraught history of, you know, starting two world wars, conducting the Holocaust, right? And so people are kind of not exactly excited to um, get involved with German food. And so he says in the book that, you know, in order for German food to get the recognition it deserves, it will need an ambassador. At one point, he fasts as part of um, his interactions and his relationship building with, with the Muslim community in Detroit. So really, it's just, it's beautiful, his, you know, understanding an intricate way of looking at our relationship with food, how cultures blend and how new food is kind of produced and how new flavors are kind of developed when, when fusion happens between these two, between these two cultures coming together. And so this book was really great. Um, I have wanted to try lots of different food just because of this book. I do have to admit my palate is very reduced. I really only kind of eat very specific foods. Um, and this book really made me want to like broaden my, my palate and, and the foods I eat. So it was, it was excellent. It was a very good suggestion. I'm glad you liked it. Um, but this is just a quick uh, warning for our listeners. If you do plan to read Buttermilk Graffiti, then please keep, like, please read on a full stomach or <laughs> don't read it between meals. Right. Because after I read this last year, I was constantly hungry. Like, despite having a full meal, I, and I read it, I was like, okay, I need this particular kind of food. So that's just a quick uh, suggestion. Uh, that if you are reading this book, please eat before reading. So, <laughs> so moving on to our last section of the podcast, um, we said we would talk about uh, gift ideas for the book lovers in your life. And uh, then we will go on to Goodreads, Goodreads Choice Awards. So Rachel, what are your some of your suggestions to give to book lovers? So last month, Rashmila and I kind of went in depth and discussed various types of subscription boxes that we liked or that we had heard of that we thought were really cool. Um, and so that's my first suggestion is a book subscription box, right? They make perfect gifts. Some, In some cases, you can buy your recipient just one box or you can buy them um, a series of months, right? Three or six or, or, or even a whole year. And if, if your book lover, you know, doesn't mind getting something new every month, then a lot of the book subscriptions that we mentioned are, are perfect um, because, you know, in a lot of cases, you don't know what you're getting. This month, I finally got my uh, page one subscription box for November. It was awesome. And inside, it came with this, uh, this canister of tea. The, the company that made the tea or, or packaged it is called Literary Tea. They have a website where you can go and you can buy tea related to, related to literature. So things like Jane Austen blend or Edgar Allan Poe blend, which is like a black tea. 
I think I have a Nathaniel Hawthorne blend, which is what I've got in my cabinet right now. And so I just thought it was really cute. I thought I think it would make a perfect gift for the book lover in your life. We'll add these suggestions and the companies that we uh, want you to buy from in our Instagram and Twitter posts. And then lastly, I think we mentioned this on a podcast too, but out of print does lots of t-shirts, sweatshirts, um, bookmarks, mugs, various like paraphernalia related to books. Out of print is definitely a go-to for, for, for bookish items for your loved ones. So Rashmila, what are your suggestions? So I would, so first and foremost, I know a lot of people have issues with the suggestion that I'm going to give, but I'm still going to give it because I like that particular thing. So gift cards, just give your book, your book lover, friend, family, colleague, a gift card to either any physical store or any independent store that they might be going to just give them gift cards. Um, my other suggestion, and because I love gift, receiving gift cards, uh, often with book lovers, the problem is that you might find a really awesome book for your friend, but that book might have already been read. So your friend might have already read the book and then it's just an awkward situation. So gift cards are a good idea. Secondly, if you want to give uh, books and you like what we talk about, then do visit our bookshop website. So if you go to bookshop.org slash shop slash reading squad, you'll get a list of the books that we discuss in our podcast, as well as some other books that we think fall in well with the overall theme every month. So definitely go to bookshop.org slash shop slash reading squad. And uh, you can also, I think, have uh, the bookshop also has gift cards available. Other suggestions that I have for uh, book lovers would be things like bookmarks, journals, mugs, uh, candles, uh, particularly, I think, Frostbeard. There's a studio called Frostbeard Studio, which provide literary candles. So they have different flavors and different moods and different uh, books. Uh, themed candles if you light them up and they and they are soy candles so really good for your health also like um, yeah uh, the other suggestions I have would be a subscription also but subscription to like audiobooks like libro.fm um, Rachel there are options for subscriptions for libro.fm right Absolutely. As a matter of fact, one of the awards for um, whoever reads the most nonfiction this month is a three-month subscription to Libro FM. So you can get a one-month subscription, you can do three months, six months, or 12 months. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that would be my other suggestion. Also, I think a lot of stores uh, are providing book bundles or like gift bundles. Uh, I know Page One uh, Books, which Rachel is subscribing to. Um, they have book bundles, I think, starting from about 60 to $100. I was looking at their website. Uh, I know Feminist Book Club, which is what I subscribe to. They are also going to have book bundles, gift bundles, starting, I think, from like 20 to $30 and going on to like $100. So those would be good ideas. If you are not sure about these two subscription boxes and their gift bundles, you can also just go on to Etsy 
and search for book bundles or gift bundles for book lovers and there are good suggestions there also uh, my last suggestion is uh, book sleeves so this is i think primarily for people who read physical books and if they are carrying the books everywhere they might have like scratches or the covers might get a bit dirty um, or pages might get a bit yeah. pages also might get folded so book sleeves are they come in various sizes so you can basically put your book in a book sleeve and then carry it around um, i have also seen book sleeves for like kindles uh, or other e-readers e so they that would also be a good idea to give to someone whose books are or have go through life in a very bad fashion so that that's my other suggestion so going on to the next part uh goodreads choice awards now i use goodreads and i've seen this but uh you rachel i think you have a better idea of what this is before we get into that let me just make a one big psa public service announcement please please during this tumultuous time of covid19 Please do not shop on Amazon for books. Please go to your local bookshop and go to their website and purchase your books from your local bookseller. They will appreciate it so much. I mean, and you should just be shopping local anyway. Yes. And I'll just add on one more thing to that. Oftentimes I've seen uh, like this happened recently where I was searching for a particular gift which i found on etsy and the gift was also available on amazon but when i went to the website of this particular person's shop uh the website like the owner's website actually had a discount coupon so oftentimes if you actually go to the person's own website from where they are selling stuff rather than going to amazon or even etsy for that matter you actually might get a better deal just in terms of discount or any other goodies that that might be available so that's my suggestion just adding on to yours awesome awesome with regards to the goodreads choice awards these are books that a lot of people have read they're the most popular throughout the year they're also books that are published in the year of question so it's 2020 we're looking at books that were published in 2020, and actually, it actually overlaps a little bit with 2019. Any book that was published kind of from December of 2019 all the way up until um, November 11th is included in this, in the awards. You can write in books, but most often uh, Goodreads has a selection of books that have been reviewed and or added to shelves the most often. So there are books for a multitude of categories, everything from mysteries, historical fiction, contemporary fiction, poetry even has a section. And so by the time you all hear this podcast, we'll probably be in the final round. So if you've been reading a lot of 2020 novels and books, I recommend you check it out. Um, and vote for which one you think is the best. It's kind of cool. It kind of is a really great starting point for the books that I will read in in January because there were just some really great books that I missed. You know, it's just a really great starting point for, oh, that book looked really good, but I didn't get around to reading it, so I'll read it in January. 
it's a cool award ceremony. We, the people, we, the readers, get to pick the books. It's not unlike other reading awards where, you know, there's kind of this panel of people who don't really know. This award is really voted on by, by all of us who actually, you know, just, just us avid, avid readers. Yes. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of this episode. Our next month's theme is Christmas Reads. And uh, Rachel and I will try to complete whatever is left on our uh, TBR, so to be read by me. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that simply because uh, uh, quite a few of, book, of my books have just arrived. So I'm super excited about that. And uh, as always, you can contact us or follow us for book recommendations on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We are there as Reading Squad Podcast. You can also find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We would also love to hear from you on what you want to hear on this podcast. What are the themes that you would like or what issues in the Bookish community do you think need more discussion? Feel free to leave reviews on our Facebook page or the other platforms where you listen to podcasts. Take care. Happy reading, y'all.